Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody today. My name is Matt Beatty. I'm the downtown campus pastor. And uh, occasionally, I get the opportunity to come out here and visit you all at the pond. And it's looking mighty pretty today. And uh, not just all of you, but outside as well. If you were here last week, you know that we talked about a king, King Saul, a king whose besetting sin, Pastor Dave said, was what? You remember? Impatience. Now, I think New Englanders are, I don't even have to keep going. You all started laughing already. You're like, it's true. He hasn't even said it. Our besetting sin, my besetting sin, is often also impatience. Saul was impatient, and uh, so many of us are like that. Last week, we had a pizza lunch downtown, and uh, I'm not going to say where I ordered the pizza from, but needless to say, um, those 20 pies were not ready when I thought they would be ready, and so after hearing this sermon and helping lead worship, I was feeling particularly impatient and frustrated And I just had to say, okay, God, (laughs) I'm going to take this lesson that you're giving me literally right now after this message. So Saul was impatient. And Saul was Israel's first king. But who do you think Israel's most famous king was? And don't give me Jesus. Talking Old Testament. David. David. The women would sing. Saul has slain his thousands. But David has slain his 10,000s. David, the shepherd boy turned giant killer, right? The writer of many of our favorite psalms. David, the one who was pursued by that impatient king Saul and proceeded to become the next king, proceeded to sit on the throne. David, the man after God's own heart. And David, who killed Uriah, the Hittite, so that he could take Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. David, who in all his ups and his downs, all his successes and failures, I would say maybe exemplifies the with God life better than anyone else apart from Jesus in Scripture. I want to invite you to pray with me this morning as we open up, and we're going to dig in to the life of David. So let's pray. God, we invite you to speak to us today by your spirit, through your word. God, we come into this place from all different places. God, rushing in here or coming in, As part of this long weekend, God, with our joys and our sorrows, our anxieties, and our trust in you, and we pray that you would meet us right where we are, open your word to us. We pray in Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen. So I want to highlight three different aspects of David's life, which I think you and I can learn from. And I'm going to give these to you right away. Um, and they are this, brokenness, crying out to God, and resting in God's delight. 
brokenness, crying out to God, and resting in God's delight. And we will tie these together with David's life. And, you know, I preached a couple months back on Moses. And it was one of those things where I said to Dave, like, how am I going to cover Moses in one, one 30-minute sermon? And it's the same thing for David. When we study David's life, there are so many amazing parts of it uh, that we couldn't possibly cover it all. But I want to use 2 Samuel 22 to dig into David's life and talk about, really, his relationship with God. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be going back to 2 Samuel 22 a number of times over this. It'll be up on the screen. But before we really get going, let's read this. I will read it to you. It's, uh, it's fairly long. I invite you to follow along. 2 Samuel 22. David sang to the Lord in the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge and my savior from violent people. You save me. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise and have been saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heavens shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of breath from his nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Not a short section of scripture. Does this sound familiar to anyone outside of the context of 2 Samuel 22? If you are familiar with the Psalms, this prayer that David has is a parallel to Psalm 18. It's so almost exactly similar. There's one interesting thing that's different, though. Psalm 18 begins with this framing. It says, I love you, Lord, my strength. I love you, Lord, my strength. And that's what David is saying here. 
I love you, Lord, my strength. So why doesn't David just say that? I love you, Lord. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for rescuing me. Why doesn't he say 10 words instead of the 347 that we just read? Well, he was a preacher. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, you're like, we're trying to be kind. We're not going to laugh at that. No, but it's those 10 words. I love you, Lord. Thank you for saving me. They could never adequately describe the depth of what David experienced and what God did. What God did to save him. I'm going to look at the beginning of this. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God is my rock, my shield, the horn of my son, my, my, my. David says it so many times in this passage right in the beginning. That's interesting. If you have kids, if you have young kids, especially used to that mine, mine, mine kind of thing happens at some point, you're like, quit that. So we say, well, what? Is David being selfish? Is he being self-centered? No. David is personalizing it. He's saying God is not some abstract, cosmic being to him. God is his savior. God saved him specifically in specific moments of his life when he needed saving. Nine times in this one section, David makes it personal because for David, it was personal. When David was young, he was anointed by Samuel. God placed his blessing on David to become the next king. Remember, he was called out from the fields, the youngest son, and he was anointed. And we know how it goes for those who are set to inherit the kingdom, right? At least in our culture, it's a life of ease, of privilege, of favor and honor. If you know the story of David, you know that couldn't be further from the truth. Yes, it started out well. He killed Goliath. He was invited in to the palace. He was the king Saul's favorite. He could sing songs that calmed him because Saul was a mad king. He married the king's daughter. He befriended the king's son. He led in the king's army. Life was pretty good for David. But in this world, you never want to be ascending faster than the king. So we hear that songs that the women and children would sing, Saul has slain his thousands. He's a great warrior, but David is tens of thousands, an even greater warrior. And you can imagine Saul didn't like that. And soon David ended up with less than he started with. Running from Saul, chased from the palace, hiding in caves, chased day and night, Chased by dogs and by armies, David had nothing and no one. He was utterly alone. But why? 
why, if he was God's anointed, would God allow him to suffer like that? Well, our first point, brokenness. God wants broken leaders. You can't get to those my, my, my's, my rock, my God, my deliverer, my savior, without brokenness. You can't become a person after God's own heart like David has described without desperately depending on God. I want you to listen to how Gene Edwards, the author, describes this in his book, A Tale of Three Kings, when he talks about God's school of brokenness. And this is in the, the context of David and highly recommend this book if you've suffered brokenness, this is a beautiful tale. He says this, God has a university. It's a small school. Few enroll, even fewer graduate. Very, very few indeed. God has this school because he does not have broken men and women. Instead, he has several other types of people. He has people who claim to have God's authority and don't people who claim to be broken and aren't, and people who do have God's authority but who are mad and unbroken like King Saul. And he has, regretfully, a great mixture of everything in between. All of these he has in abundance, but broken men and women, hardly at all. In God's sacred school of submission and brokenness, why are there so few students? Because all students in the school must suffer much pain. And as you might guess, it is often the unbroken ruler whom God sovereignly picks that meets out the pain. David was once a student in this school, and Saul was God's chosen way to crush David. David was a broken leader. David, the greatest king in Israel, was crushed. And maybe you find yourself in a season of brokenness or have found yourself in a season of brokenness? If so, know that you're not alone. But also know that you have an example, we have an example in David of how we can respond. Continuing in 2 Samuel 22, verse 4, I called to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and have been saved from my enemies, the waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. I called to the Lord. David wrote many of our psalms. And you know what the most common type of psalm is? They're typed into probably six different kinds of psalms. And the most common, which might surprise you, is a lament psalm. A cry out to God that says, God, help me. I can't do this. Help me. This isn't right. David so consistently cries out to God, because over and over again in David's life, God moved on his behalf. Verse 8, the earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heavens shook. 
they trembled because he was angry. And for those of us who have a picture of an angry God, we say, see, it's right there. God is angry. I don't like that God, the angry God of the Old Testament. But why is God angry? Why does it say that here? Well, because David is God's child. David is God's son. He's created in his image. And I know if my kids are being mistreated, if my kids were being chased like David was being chased, I'd be mad. God is love. How can he be angry? God's love, his great love for David causes his anger. And it's the same for us. God knows us. God sees us. He is the God who sees. He sees when we suffer. He sees when we run into trouble. And his anger burns against those who are wicked. wicked, Against those who mistreat his creation. Because each of us are made in God's image. Here's how David describes God moving. Verse 9. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. David is using this, this metaphor, this example of, of nature, of what we see in the world. And he's saying, God's mad and it looks like this. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him. It goes on and on. God responds to David's cry. So crying out to God matters. David's description of how God moves in this part of 2 Samuel, as I said, it takes natural phenomena to illustrate God's power. David is reminding us not only that God's character is revealed through nature, but that God uses and used nature to reveal himself. Consider the exodus of God's people out of Egypt. God moved in a cloud by day, fire by night. He reveals himself on a mountain, shows his power by parting the seas. David's using this imagery and he's saying, just like God parted the seas, just like God showed up tangibly and visibly for Israel, I believe that God is going to show up in my situation in my life. He's going to part whatever sea is in front of me. David's remembering. He's remembering what God has done. But we're also reminded that God is powerful. We aren't asking for help from someone who has no ability to respond. You know, one of the hardest things I find sometimes pastoring, particularly some of the situations I run into downtown, is that there's a limit to what I can do. It's a pretty big, strong limit. Like, I can't do much. And some of the situations people find themselves in it's just crushing. 
And if you come and say, well, can you move on my behalf? And I'd say, well, I want to, but I can't, I can't do it. This is out of my power. David, he's not going to some intermediary. He's going straight to God. And he's saying, what did God do? He created the heavens and the earth. He's the beginning and the end. He parted the seas. If God is that powerful, then I believe he's a God that can move in my life. Well, should we approach God, though? Especially with our little problems? One of the beauties of Scripture is that over and over again, God calls us to come to him. Come to me. Reach out to me. Think of the father running out to meet the prodigal son in Luke 15. He wasn't standing there with his arms crossed. Fine, my son left and abandoned me. I'll just stand here. He ran out to meet him. He was waiting. That's a picture of God. That's a picture of how God waits for us. I think about Hebrews 4.16 and our invitation to boldly approach God's throne of grace to receive mercy and help in time of need. That is one of my favorite scriptures that over and over again I find myself going back to. I am called, even when I feel like I have just screwed everything up, to boldly run to God's throne of grace and ask for mercy. We cry out to God. We can cry out to God because like David, God loves us. God sees us and he says, that's my child. That's my son. That's my daughter. That's someone that is my beloved. And God moves on our behalf. So we've talked about brokenness. The reality is whether or not you want brokenness, and I will take a guess that David did not want to walk the path that he had to walk. We receive it in this world, right? We can't live in this world with other people without experiencing brokenness. And so our response is to cry out to God. And we remember the fact that God responds. So what does that lead to in our lives? I think it looks like this. It looks like resting in God's delight. Let's go back one last time to look at 2 Samuel 22. Verse 17. I mean, I just want to invite you to close your eyes for a second and just hear this. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. You see, David describes God rescuing him bringing him out into a spacious place. 
And why? Because of his holiness? No. Because he was some special person that God had chosen to show his delight in? No. Because he delighted in him because of who he was, because of who God created him to be, which was his child. Why does God rescue us? Because he delights in us. Because he delights in you. It's a beautiful moment in Jesus' ministry, really before Jesus' ministry. That's what makes it beautiful. As he's baptized by his cousin John, the baptizer. And as he comes up out of the water, God speaks and says, this is my son whom I love, and him I am well pleased. And what had Jesus done at that point? Nothing. He had not done his miracles. He had not gone to the cross. He had not healed people. But God says, I love you because you're you. Now, I spent the past year reflecting on this specific passage about coming out into a spacious place. Doug Melder spoke last May. It was probably around a year ago. And he referenced it. It wasn't even the, the core of his sermon, but he referenced Psalm 18 and what a blessing it had been for him in a hard time. And I, I considered it, and I thought, I can see so evidently in my life how God reached down. He, he drew me up out of deep waters. He put my feet on a rock. He put me in a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. I, I had this moment of going, oh, that is literally my story. God taking me out of a situation and putting me into a situation that I had nothing to do with getting myself there. But I was troubled. And I thought, you know, the problem is, I am in this spacious place. I've got this whole place to be. And I'm crouched down, fearful, looking around. Because I'm only used to living that way. When God draws us out of deep waters, why do we sometimes feel like we're still holding our breath? When God expands our territory and puts us in a spacious place, why is it that we live cowering? I know I can't be the only one. And I had this idea that came to me, which is that I need to learn to live in a spacious place. I need to learn to live in the blessings that God has given me. Psalm 16, says, in God's presence there is fullness of joy. At his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. John 10, 10, Jesus says, I came that you might have life 
life to the fullest, life abundantly. I love David because with all of his brokenness, with everything he experienced, he cries out to God. He doesn't stand back, but he goes right at God. He complains. He cries out. He says, save me. But he also allows himself to learn to live in a spacious place. What does he say at the end? He rescued me because he delighted in me. I think we need to learn this sometimes. I don't need to do anything for him to delight in me. He already delights in me. And you know when I screw up, who's the first to forgive me? God is. He runs out to save me. He rescued me because he delighted in me. So my challenge, if we're going to look at the life of David, my challenge for us today is to allow God, our healer, to mend our brokenness by crying out to him, by boldly approaching his throne of grace in good times and bad, and by resting in God's delight. David's considered a man after God's own heart, not because of his perfection, but because he had an intimate, consistent, deep, relationship with God and the reality for each of us today is we can too so would you pray with me God we give you great praise not out of our wholeness or out of our perfection not out of the ease of our lives, not because things have always been easy, but because like David, even when things have gone awry, even when things have gone wrong, you are still God. We look to you, our powerful God, our Alpha Omega, beginning and end, creator, the one who moves and shaped the mountains. And we invite you to move the mountains in our lives on our behalf. But God, in the midst of that, when we're in the not yet, when we're on the journey, I pray that you would strengthen us. Let us run to you as our first step as we cry out. Remind us, God, that you rescue us because you delight in us, because your love for us is great. We give you praise. We thank you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.